Retail Revolution is a special limited podcast created specifically for retailing and service design, a unique course that is part of the Fashion Management Graduate Program at Parsons School of Design in New York City. Each episode features in-depth conversations with guest experts in omni-channel retailing with myriad perspectives, technology, consumer engagement, data analytics, merchandising, and more. We pay special attention to the short and long-term challenges and implications of COVID-19 and potential opportunities to rethink retail's future. Retail Revolution is produced by Joshua Williams and hosted by Christopher Lacey. Both are assistant professors in the School of Fashion at Parsons. Welcome to a very special two-part episode of Retail Revolution podcast, where we discuss all things pertaining to retailing and service design. Over the last five weeks, as part of the retailing and service design class, we tasked our students with completing a retail and service design analysis of any brand of their choosing. They were then to present a detailed COVID-19 strategy for their selected brand with considerations around technology, merchandising, operations, and customer experience. Four students were selected as having presented top-notch strategic plans, and we have our first two here today to discuss their strategies and views on fashion retail's future. Welcome to the show, Jeanette Gong and Glenda Wajaja. How are you? Hi, how are you, Chris? Good. Thanks for having us. I am so excited about this. I think when we began this whole situation as COVID-19 happened and we were thinking, what could this experience look like for our students and what kind of project we could do? We kind of didn't know that this would be it, but I'm, I'm really excited that it is because, you know, it's really important that we're able to give you guys also a voice to, to talk about what you think about retail and its future. I want to start this off with our listeners getting a chance to know more about each of you. So Jeanette, will you talk just about your background and what made you want to join the MPS Fashion Management Program? Sure. So hello, everyone. My name is Jeanette Gon. And growing up, I always knew I'm interested in fashion. I remember when I was young, the most exciting activity for me was following my parents to shopping malls or outlet stores on the weekends. However, it didn't really occur to me that I could take up fashion as a professional career because no one in my family or anyone that I knew really worked in the industry. So I actually did marketing and communications back in college. And in my junior year, I got accepted to an internship opportunity at this fashion PR and project management agency where I really got to work with several top tier luxury and streetwear clients. And then that was for the first time I realized I was excited about waking up to work. And then the idea of working in the fashion industry just naturally came up. So um, speaking of joining this program, because I always felt like compared with a lot of creative minds in the fashion industry, I am always more logic driven and more realistic when it comes to um, business. So I decided it would be perfect for me to work with some designers and brands to really optimize their business solutions. And that's why I really want to get most knowledge out of this program. That's awesome. Glinda, how about you? So yeah, for me, how I got interested in fashion was after watching a documentary called Seamless about the first CFBA Fun Awards. And it was, I think I was in the sixth grade and I told my parents I want to become a fashion designer and I've 
been working towards it ever since. So a couple of years ago, I actually graduated from the Parsons BFA fashion design program. And I was working for a year and a bit in the industry as an assistant designer. And I quickly figured out that uh, design is just a small portion of running a fashion brand or fashion business. And I was really interested into understanding, you know, all the different parts that I only have glimpses of when I was working. So I went back to Parsons and see what I can learn. And the MPS program was there and I was really excited to be a part of it. Wow. That's awesome. I like both of those stories. So I want to get into some nuts and bolts about the brand you chose to analyze and, and really wanting to understand from you why you chose those brands. So Glenda, tell us about your brand and, and, and why you chose to, to do this analysis. So the brand that I chose was Emily Ondor, which is a brand that would mostly fit the category of maybe luxury streetwear. And it is based in New York. And I personally love the brand and I am a customer and I've bought things from them, even though I don't think I'm necessarily their target customer because it is a menswear brand. But I love their aesthetics. And I think it also reflects on how people shop these days that gender categories don't really restrict people. And if they find something that they love, they'll just purchase it anyway. And I also used to live by uh, their flagship locations. The first one was in Mott Street. And I think it's a temporary location. Then they moved up to Mulberry Street. And if anyone asked me where to go and recommend to go in that area, I would always say to go to their stores because it kind of feels that when you go there, you're transported to another place in time with the design of the place. And also little details, uh, whether it's like hanging sneakers by their entrance or retro sports memorabilia as part of their decor. And I think they're really good at creating this very specific world that um, is very unique. And also their aesthetic is really clear throughout, you know, their social media. And I was really interested in how their service and their operations are and see whether I can find some opportunities that I can work with and build upon. So, Glinda, when you were analyzing this brand, what were the opportunities that you found? I find that they have a really strong following uh, and community that kind of lives outside of the social media accounts that they have. But people kind of find trouble with their customer service. And I think those two are kind of contradictory in my mind where they have such a strong following, but people who might not really know the backstory of the brand find it difficult to kind of engage with the brand. So I find that merging new customers and existing customers is one of the ways that I can strengthen their customer service and experience. Awesome. And we're going to get to the strategy in just a moment. But before that, Jeanette, tell us about the brand you chose to analyze and why. Sure. So the brand I chose was Urban Outfitters, which is a lifestyle retailer dedicated to inspiring customers through a unique combination of product, creativity, and cultural understanding. So how I got to UO was actually interesting and sounded superficial than Glenda's reasons. I am very bad at making decisions. So I literally brainstorm most of the retailers close to where I live. And I understand that for this project, you have to have a good grasp of the understanding of how those in-store settings work because that's a major part of 
the omni-channel experience analyze. And then Urban Outfitters was one of them. And I think I was more familiar with their visual merchandising and in-store retailing touch points and services. And I think it will be very interesting to look at Urban Outfitters because especially they have a lot of retail stores across the country. So it will be worthwhile to look at their omni-channel experience. What were the opportunities that you found when you were assessing this omni-channel experience? Right. Actually, when I did the research and assessment, I found they are already having some good omni-channel experience and services for clients because they have all the technologies and services, automated project recommendations and loyalty programs. So I think with further digitization becoming a more and more stronger trend, in especially in this COVID-19 situation, it would be great for Urban Outfitters and companies like Urban Outfitters to get more into digital technology and really to be innovative and bold about it. And we're going to talk about that in a moment because we're going to we're going to jump back to your your strategy. So Glenda, you found some key areas of opportunity. So could you tell us, you know, just highlight a few of your strategy points that you think would benefit the brand? So yeah, the main idea behind the strategies that I propose for Emilion Door is emphasizing the importance of not only having a dedicated community, as I mentioned before, that they do have, but also really engaging with them and also growing that community with new customers. They're already great creating this unique world. And I think equally important to invite and also encourage people to be immersed uh, with the culture of the brand. And so the main um, strategy that I was proposing was creating an app for a way to enhance customer experience and also a platform where they can introduce other programs. And part of the strategy is me introducing three programs. The first one being a tiered membership program. So when you sign up for the app, you become a part of the, their membership loyalty program. And it is really to help increase clienteling programs and also having a more uh, personalized experience for customers in stores and also online. And also give them more access to the brand and show appreciation to those who have supported them. And it has features such as try-on baskets. So when you come to the store, you can just scan things and uh, choose what you want to try on and a sales associate will prepare for them. Or you can buy something through your phone at the cafe and an associate will bring your cafe order to anywhere, uh, to any part of the store. And also geolocation technology. So when you're around the area, you are reminded that maybe there's a new collection or there is an opportunity to earn extra points if you visit the store that day. And I was kind of inspired by Nike because... To be honest, Nike is the only uh, brand that I have an app for with other brands. I downloaded it and then deleted it a couple of days. But with Nike, sometimes I pass through their store and I get a notification. And it doesn't always translate me going to a store or making a purchase. But it always makes me, it reminds me that, hey, maybe there's something that I want to buy or I want to check out. And I think that's a really great strategy with the geolocation technology. And also with their sneakers app, I remember that last year they had an Air Max Day celebration and I got a notification for it. And I told my friend to also download it and she never really 
bought anything from the app and found out that she couldn't RSVP for the event. So it kind of felt that they are validating my purchase and my uh, loyalty to the brand. You you made me think of something ju just then because, you know, when we think about how you're engaging with apps and you mentioned for your strategy, the customer could actually scan clothing and, and purchase it even in person in the store and then it's backed up by an associate. Did you create that because of the understanding that, that post-COVID there's a concern around how much you want to interact with other people or is it more just you were thinking from terms of efficiency? It's both because I kind of see also my way of shopping. I, I'm quite an efficient shopper so I go into the store I know what I want. And at the same time, you can check inventory when you're using the app. Maybe the size that you want to try on is not available in stores. But also when I was thinking about it and how we are in the situation of COVID-19, people don't really want to try on clothes that other people have tried on. So it's kind of more of a showroom experience where they can see the items uh, on the racks, but they have like a new pair inside that they could pull out and for you to try that's brand new and no one really has touched it before. So thinking about, you know, how people might react shopping in stores and trying on clothes. That's also part of the reason why I proposed that idea. You built in another part with, with the app, which I think was cool. You called it the ALD uniform. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a replenishment program you were suggesting, right? Yes. Yeah, so that was the second pro program that I was proposing. And Emilion Dora themselves have this category called uniforms on their website so you can shop and see a category called uniform which is basically the line of basics which is sweatpants sweatshirts hoodies t-shirts shorts that comes in different colorways every season but kind of maintains the same throughout each season and with COVID-19 you see everywhere people recommending oh loungewear for you to work at home with and with retail struggling like certain categories are still doing strong and at leisure and leisure wear is part of them. And I was reading a Forbes magazine when I was doing the research that certain brands have found that they have made a great amount of sales in three weeks, even compared to their wholesales in the past year, they have made the same or even more. So I think it's an opportunity for Emily Ondor to really uh, emphasize a category that's already very successful for them and use it to kind of fit in with the times with uh, COVID-19 people might not go to the stores and having a subscription program people are still shopping and part of it is to make people want to be part of this program is that there will be lower prices than on uh, one-off purchases and also special uh, special edition collector's boxes as packaging and also monogram services so it also adds a personal touch and enhancing the excitement of shopping when you're staying at home and wearing products that you are intending to use at home. Very cool. I, I like that. And I, I do like the idea as someone buys more if they're in the replenishment program relative to one item, what does the pricing look like? Because one of the biggest concerns will be with unemployment being as high as it is, the discretionary income and you know, people will want more for how much they're spending, right? And so I think this way you're still getting this multiple unit transaction that's happening and not just these one-off pieces. So very, very great, great idea that you you put forth there. 
So Jeanette, I want to shoot it back over to you. And I'd like for you to take us through the highlights of your strategy. Yes. So first of all, the strategy I put forward is called Upgrading Urban Outfitters Omnichannel with Virtual Technology to Lead Further Digitization. Here, the virtual technology is divided into two parts, virtual reality and digital fashion products. I know that virtual reality has been in a conversation within industry for a while, and I still feel there is a need for us to um, really translate those physical shopping experience into virtual shopping events because it really helps to eliminate some of the boundaries or concerns such as geolocations or during COVID-19, the hygienic issues while still um, having the instant gratification and purchase impulse to add on to the 2D online shopping experience. And also virtual reality right now is very big in holding like concerts and events such as Travis Scott's concerts in the game for a night. And I think companies like Urban Outfitters, which has a great connection with its creative community and consumers really have the opportunity to expand their business trajectory into live concerts and events in VR settings. Mm -hmm. And it would also be interesting if they could consider producing their exclusive VR headsets, which might attract more consumers to go back to their physical locations to try on and really experience the technology. So these are for virtual uh, virtual reality. And the second technology will be digital fashion products, meaning certain products are only digitally released and consumers can style their own looks by picking the items and uploading their pictures and then placing the orders. So then technicians will help them touch up their photos so they look like exactly in the same outfits that they have chosen. And then I put forward this strategy because UO's target segmentations are mainly millennials and Generation Z um, who are fascinated with having the most trendiest looks, but also posting on social media very often. However, at the same time, they are relatively sensitive to price and spendings, especially now people have lower discretionary incomes. And at the same time, Generation Zs are huge in sustainability. So I think a good use of digital fashion products could really help to speak to young consumers and encourage them to embrace fashion while spending less and making fewer environmental footprints. I'm glad you you mentioned the Gen Z and millennial because you focused heavily on that and that's Urban Outfitters target audience. Yes. What do you think retailers are getting wrong when it comes to engaging that youth culture? Well, I think nowadays it would be a bit outdated and naive for retailers to believe that good products are enough to engage with young consumers because the availability of online shopping and social media really influence young people's opinions and provide literally more purchase options from different retailers. So brand loyalty is more and more difficult to get these days. And young consumers no longer buy brands which only create perfect images and aspirations. Instead, they want to see inclusivity. They want to see themselves in those marketing campaigns. They really look for relevance and personal connections with the brands, um, which should be realized via unique experience, transparency, and authenticity. 
And and one of the things you focused on for that was the integration of AR and VR and, and really what does digital technology look like now in playing a role in someone's lifestyle? Totally. So Glinda, when you think about engaging youth culture and when you were doing ALD, it's a different type of, of subset of youth culture, right? Because when we talk about streetwear and we... we even though it's a term, you know, that I've never really loved, but it, it does come from the subculture of surf culture, skate culture, hip hop culture. And you earlier mentioned that the brand really isn't designed towards you because it's really a menswear brand. However, there needs to be consideration around this gender fluidity. So what do you think retailers are kind of getting wrong in this space, in this area? And, and what do they need to do to really connect with the youth culture? I think um, being authentic is a really important thing. And for example, a brand like Emilion Door, they might not, from their own marketing or their postings, might show that, you know, girls, women are also wearing Emilion Door. When you see the forums that their you know fans are a part of you know girls are posting their fit pics or also part of the conversation and i think for brands to kind of embrace that and also bring the community closer to them is very important and i think one of the other parts of my strategies was having this forum which is also part of emilion door for new customers to also see how existing fans kind of interact and they are able to also see the world that the brand truly lives in and the environment they truly lives in. And I think that is an opportunity to bring in new customers because especially in this time, it's really important for brands to kind of show that they're trying to be inclusive and also be authentic. I rather brands try to make these efforts than proclaim since the beginning that they're doing all of these things or have these values and be disappointed when they're not true, when it's not true or they operate in ways that's contradictory to what they stand for. So I think brands start slowly and just trying their best to incorporate new things is really important. And I think with this time and age, you can see that how people are responding with the pandemic. They are much more conscious in shopping for brands that they really have a personal connection with. And some even are doing you know, fundraising or helping these businesses to survive when they know that they might be struggling. So I think you can see that people and customers are going the extra mile when they feel that they're part of a community that speaks to them. And they also see the people behind their, these businesses as real authentic people. Very cool. I, I agree with you. I think, you know, one of the things we we've noticed is the number of ads where it, you know, you have, different retailers and brands and organizations saying, you know, they're going through this with us. And it's funny because I, I would rather they just stay true to who they are. And I'd rather them go, you know, if you are a cool brand like Edro, instead of sending out an email that's we're here with you, I'd rather it be something like, look, the world is looking black and white. You need some Paisley. Do you know what I mean? Like, because yes. that's authentically them. Yeah. And, and and I think when we consider what fashion retail is always about is it's about taking us out of our lives for a bit, right? It's this aspirational feeling. And if it's not aspirational, it is the life you have, have come to get to know. It's removing you from reality. And 
I, I sometimes think being your most authentic is I'm taking you out of reality right now. And I don't want you to remember or, or think about that sadness. Like you, you wear these clothes because it makes you feel good. So to your point, that's creating a community yeah. in the right way. So I want to ask you to uh, a question, which is if you were to talk to a student considering joining this program, what would you tell them? Jeanette, I'll let you go first on that. I think just based on my personal experience, if you do join this program, if you were not pulling a few all-nighters, you might be doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I'm really trying to say here is be ready to hustle because each module only lasts for five weeks and everything is condensed and super quick. There is only one year. However, if you still want to join us, welcome. And I don't think you will regret because honestly, all the faculty members in this program are amazing. Um, they are super knowledgeable and sophisticated and dedicated to this program. And they're generous about sharing their experience and resources with us. And it really truly has been a worthwhile experience for me. And I think it will be one for you too. Well, thanks, Jeanette. Glenda, how about you? Yeah, I mean, to piggyback on Jeanette's point, you really do get as much as you put in. So I, you guys have provided us with a lot of amazing resources. We've got to meet and connect with so many amazing people, as you guys can, you know, see from the podcast itself. You know, it's just an extension of what we've been experiencing since last fall. And I think it's our responsibility to really just learn from everyone and take it in as someone who's a shy person, I've really been telling myself to really just ask questions, ask for advice, reach out to people because everyone's been really great and really lovely, really helpful, especially during these times. Everyone's really open into helping. And I think the community that this program has provided me and the mentors have been like the biggest highlight of being a part of this program. Awesome. So here's my last question to the two of you. Glenda. You will be done with this fashion management program at the end of the summer. You guys still have uh, two more classes and your thesis to go. My question to you is, what are you nervous about as you approach the industry on your pro professional journey? Oh, that's a really great question. And I think my answer is everything because <laughs> it's really uncertain times and you can't really exactly predict what's going to happen but definitely like we're about to graduate I think with a lot of us we're concerned about job search and how the workforce is going to be after all of this and even that you know timeline wise you know and also just the economy in general you know how are people going to respond as someone who kind of sees themselves as building a brand in the future I kind of start thinking about like how people's uh, shopping behaviors are going to change are they going to even think as clothes as something important enough to allocate money for so there's just a lot of uncertainties but you know I'm trying to keep positive and yeah kind of just be aware of what's happening and again you know talk to people and hopefully things are going to get better soon no they will and 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 please remain positive I you know there's there is definitely opportunity out there for those who are thinking strategically and thinking differently and thinking about a new way and a new approach to 
to business. And and I want to follow my question up with you because you want to start your own brand. Do you think of it differently now after starting and, and kind of in the process of this program? I think like with the program, you kind of get to see different aspects and how pe- the industry is going about things. And I think I'm much more uh, conscious in what I want to produce and what message that I want to put out there because, you know, building a brand these days, you know, you might just need uh, a laptop and just create your own website and it's easy as that. But at the same time, it's really hard to kind of break through because everyone is able to do it. And how are you going to differentiate yourself and make a brand that, you know, you're not just creating waste into the world and making something worth more and have more value. And I think being in this program has really made me think of things really well and have people to bounce off ideas with because I come from a design background. So Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about building a brand from that point of view for a very long time, but now getting the points of view from, you know, production or like service design and retailing and all those kinds of things, it kind of makes one idea become much more of a concrete plan for me. And I think that's how I'm going to like also take that direction from my thesis as well. Fantastic. Very cool. Jeanette, how about you? What, what are you nervous about as, as uh, you continue on, after the summer? Well, yeah, adding on to Glenna's point, I think in this situation, we have a lot of things to be nervous about. Um, I think Glenda and also a lot of fellow classmates and I often discuss about the uncertainty, especially in this year, a lot of people are suffering from job losses or even bigger and more serious issues. Like no one is really clear about where everything is going after things reopens. But I guess we need to be up for the challenge anyways. And it's just personally, I, as I mentioned earlier, I came from a communications background. So through this program, I really hope to transition into a more business role, meaning more strategies and more numbers. Although we have been through a lot of training in this program, like developing business plans and strategies for different types of companies, I think putting them into real business scenarios could look a little bit different. So Mm -hmm. I think one of my major concerns will also be immediate adaptation and adjustment once I enter the professional business world. Yeah, I mean, I think that's always one of those those concerns, right? Because sometimes it's like, oh, I, I was in a controlled atmosphere being able to have time to think this out. And then, you know, on the industry side, you have to come up with things a lot faster. And there's so many different variables coming at you. The good thing is, is that I think where you guys all are at this point is that you know how to kind of see your way through the the forest. And it's more like when you get into industry, how do you see your way in the forest when you have so much coming at you at one time. And, and that's something that you'll have to to get used to as you get into industry is like, I remember someone asking me, you know, so what is your what is your day like? And the funny thing is, is that my day was never the same, right? It, it, you know, every single day, there was a new fire to put out. But the great thing was, is that you could put the fire out, right? So I think when you guys integrate into industry side, that will be a big learning curve for you. So thank you both so much. This has been 
an amazing, amazing experience to talk to you, to have the opportunity to engage with you all over the last five weeks. And I can wish you continued success. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Retail Revolution. A very special thank you to everyone who has helped make this podcast possible. Our guests, our students, and fellow faculty at Parsons School of Design, especially in such an extraordinary and unprecedented time. Our theme music was composed by Spencer Powell. Be well and stay tuned for our next episode. <laughs>